And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 274, aka year six, week 24, uh, coming at you on the 4th of July is when we're actually recording this. So happy secessionist day. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and Ken Schoolin. And since this is your weekly call in, whatever, uh, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So what is going on with you guys this week? Are you celebrating anything special today? (laughs) I liked your uh, post of uh, Secessionist Day. Yeah, that's that's, uh, an irony in that... uh, we are celebrating generally uh 4th of july which is independence from england and this is uh, just a couple of weeks after in hawaii we celebrated in hawaii kamehameha day the forced union with of the of the islands um after killing thousands of people to bring everybody uh under the rule of one guy and um people don't see any contradiction there's parades and statues and uh celebrations for opposite things Secession, independence on the one hand, and uh, forced union and tyranny on the other. Okay, well, let's be clear, because I never, when I was living in Hawaii, I never found Independence Day to be that big of a celebrated holiday, more so the Hallmark holiday. Uh, We get an extra day off of work. Everyone's going to go to the beach and barbecue anyway, so it's more of like a party holiday than anyone actually celebrating independence, because, you know... I think it's bigger on the mainland, but it is certainly a the prominent holiday of the year for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of flag waving and and uh, huge events of uh, you know fireworks and parties and okay. I'd say it's as big as any other holiday here, in my Interesting. opinion. Yeah. Okay, I've always found the fireworks to be much more spectacular on New Year's. Like Fourth of July was a non-issue. So that. Yes, you're right. Because it also coincides with the Chinese New Year, which or I mean the celebrations and the Chinese tend to to have brought a, a lot of fireworks um, culture to Hawaii as well. So yes, you're right about that. And actually, I think there's expected to be almost very little in the way of fireworks here. All the main events have been canceled just because of the coronavirus. Yep. Way to way to celebrate independence by doing what they tell you. <laughs> so and similar thing here right i mean there was i think there was supposed to be some fireworks display later on this afternoon or tonight or whatever and it got canceled um it was it was weird because last year when they did it they did it on the 3rd of july here in in manchester new hampshire and i was like well that's dumb like why would they do that um and the general reason i got is because the you know the the big fireworks the big display that everyone wants to go to is like in boston Right, where, they, where, oh. they really, where they really celebrate independence. Uh, so, so to not coincide with, you know, the, the bigger celebration, uh, little old Manchester does it a day early, you know, which is all right, whatever. Um, but also, uh, se- seems weird, seems weirder this year because of all the lockdown COVID-19, you know, do as your masters tell you to do than it has in the past. But it's also, I've also found it to be an ironic holiday, again, because everyone's celebrating uh, independence, but not really doing anything to garner more independence uh, as the state grows ever larger and more encompassing over the lives of people, right? Like, where's, you know, so when I say happy secessionist day, um, it's because that's really what the celebration is, right? You said independence from, uh, from Britain, because... No one wants to celebrate real independence, real freedom, real liberty anymore. It's just, you know, it's a thing that happened 200 years ago and we're American now. Uh, and so Americans got to do what Americans got to do and no more independence from anybody. You're, you're here stuck with it type of thing. And yeah, whatever. So happy well, I heard s- some people say on the radio today that, well, it was, um, I mean, we're, we're just now in the month or two of, um, acknowledgement of a lot of uh, racial division here and uh, i was said on the radio well it was fourth of july and independence day for um the non-blacks because the blacks uh, were still uh, enslaved or at least a lot most of them probably um 
and so it it's a, a different kind of celebration uh for a lot of people and especially with this moment of of um, black lives matter awareness sure so do we need another independence day for the black folks like when what what is it they didn't didn't they just had juneteenth or whatever it is when when yeah, finally yeah. the slaves so they had one how did that go were they still allowed out of their house were they still allowed to have independence and freedom did they fight for anything important this year i don't know thoughts i think there was more uh, actually more recognition of juneteenth day i i never even heard of juneteenth day before and i found it uh, somewhat ironic because i here's an interesting thing um i don't know if we talked about this before but i was impressed by an article in ebony magazine by the um editor and founder or editor one of the publishers of uh uh Ebony Magazine wrote an article years ago saying that Abraham Lincoln didn't free a single slave in the country that he controlled. That's right, because the did we talk about this in the last class period or the last? Oh, uh, I don't don't believe so, Professor Rich. (laughs) (laughs) No, student Rich, Professor Schoolin. I don't believe we talked about it, but I am I am generally aware of the argument that is being made. So please continue. Yeah, well, it's a very interesting one. And uh, uh, and he says that it's um, erroneous to credit Abraham Lincoln with freeing the slaves because he, he didn't. In fact, he stated quite bluntly that he was intending to uh, enforce the Union. Uh, and whether he could do it with slavery or without slavery, that was secondary or, or uh, immaterial. He wanted to um, preserve the Union, as he wrote in the uh, Chicago Herald Tribune. Right. And... Um, so by this Emancipation Proclamation, he was really just hoping to get slaves in rebellion in uh, territories that he considered rebellion, the ones that he didn't have any control over. And at the same time, by specifying which areas the slaves were free, he specified that in the areas that had been conquered by the Union troops, the, the Northern uh, armies, those slaves were not free. Uh, and so he actually re-enslaved uh, a lot of black slaves uh, who had presumed to be freed by the march of the armies into these new territories. So uh, this guy who wrote this article uh, said that it was actually uh, the reverse. He, he enslaved. And, and plus uh, um, Jeffrey R. Rogers Hummel argument that uh, by imposing uh, the draft, the military draft, uh, he was enslaving young white men in the north to go and uh, kill or be killed in the south, and in the process, killing uh, 620,000 uh, Americans on both sides of this conflict. Um, an interesting part of that is that uh, all of the territory, well, 18 of the territories in in the Western Hemisphere ended slavery without bloodshed. Um, and uh, only two areas uh, ended slavery uh, by brutal civil war: Haiti and and the United States. So it was uh, uh, certainly a uh, a messy, messy outcome. Uh, so, so when it comes yeah. when it comes to the civil war, um, I've heard it quipped that um, when you don't know your history. Uh, you think that the Civil War was about slavery. And then when you really learn history, uh, you learn that it was not about slavery. But then when you really study history, uh, you learn that, in fact, it really was about slavery again. So I don't think that I don't I've heard the arguments. Right. I, I know I know the positions. I don't think that uh, the truth is going to be settled on anytime soon. With regards to that, because each side will always fight. Like, you know, they'll say like, no, it was always about slavery. um, Because what else was the South fighting for? Like, why did the South want to secede in the first place? Obviously, it was about slavery. And then there's like, no, states' rights. And there was some other things, the improper taxes being levied upon them and hurting their industries. And well, because of the industries that were, you know, um, propped up on slavery. And so it always goes back to that in some form or fashion. 
Uh, a good good point, but I I think it it is complex. You can't say that it wasn't about slavery, but it wasn't. But the, the you know it was it was a component of the of the issues. But the northern states uh, were not favorable to black Americans. The main reason they didn't want slavery in the north is that they were championing. Uh, they they thought slaves would be undue competition with white labor in the northern states. Most of them had anti-black laws you know many blacks weren't even allowed in some of the territories they weren't allowed to vote they weren't allowed to hold property they weren't they didn't have any of the same rights that the people did in the north there were abolitionists for sure and they were very very uh ferocious in their advocacy for ending slavery but they were a minority uh and uh they were ones actually who were calling for secession from the south because prior to the during the times of the Fugitive Slave Act, uh, the northern states were returning runaway slaves, and the abolitionists wanted the northern states, especially New England, to secede from the south so that they wouldn't have to um, uh, send home property that stole itself. Uh, (laughs) What a weird uh, way to say that. (laughs) Yeah, so they were the ones championing secession so they could get away from this slave system. And the slave system, yes, it was pervasive, but there were um, it was largely the the major large plantation holders that that championed slavery, but not everybody in the South favored it. A lot, you know, uh, they were uh, uh, young white men were drafted, you could say, impressed into slave hunting gangs that had to go around and 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 capture slaves and run away slaves and bring them back. And they were slaves to the guys who were doing this were, were forced into these slave hunting uh, things as well. So there was, it was a mix of things all around the country. Probably the biggest issue I think had to do with the tariffs because uh, the Northern States uh, wanted to impose tariffs on the uh, products from England, the textile products, because they wanted to preserve, they wanted to protect their textile industries in the north and uh, as long as you had all this uh, these textiles coming in from england it was hurting them so they put up tariff barriers very high tariff barriers that were uh, much more costly they were twice as costly to the southern states as to the northern states and um, that actually caused the first row of the, uh, the call for secession the southern states in 1836 i think we're starting that we're first talking about secession because of these onerous tariffs that were hitting them the most and most of the income that was derived from it. In those yeah. days, the tariff was the biggest source of federal income. They were spending it on railroads and canals up in the north, um, all these infrastructure projects, which were the favored by the Whigs. So uh, it was a, a big transfer of wealth. And they talked about secession, and uh, finally there was a compromise tariff that brought the tariffs down so that the southern states would stop thinking, talking about, about secession. But then when, when Lincoln was elected, the Merrill tariffs were enacted right away, and then the wartime tariffs right after that. But Lincoln was such a champion of the uh, uh, high tariffs, protectionist tariffs, and um, protectionism for... Uh, and these big infrastructure projects that he wanted. I mean, he, during the Civil War, he started these transcontinental railroads, which were heavily subsidized in order to take Indian lands away from the uh, in the West to build these transcontinental railroads. That all went bankrupt. Uh, the only transcontinental railroad that didn't go bankrupt was the Great Northern Railroad of uh, James Dr- uh, uh, of. Uh, uh, Jerome Hill. Let's see. Yeah. J. Uh, J. J. Hill. Okay. Um, James Jerome Hill. Uh, he didn't take a penny of, of uh, government money and he built the railroads rationally uh, in trying to encourage settlement along the way, making good relations with the Indians, uh, gradual inclines so that didn't require a great deal of operating costs. He did the whole thing. It was successful without a penny of federal money and didn't go bankrupt. All of the other transcontinental railroads, the Northern Pacific Railroad, the Central Pacific Railroad, the Union Pacific Railroad, um, they all went bankrupt after the corrupt uh, builders uh, absconded with with uh, the money from the rails. 
and um, took the Indians' land. About a third of the money spent on building those rails was just to fight the Indians to keep them from uh, uh, interfering with the construction projects. It was a horrendous example, and this was all done in, uh, instigated under uh, Lincoln. So, what is what would you say? Maybe just throwing it out there. What would you say is the reason why uh, modern day secessionist movements um, don't have the same impact as those of the past? Right? Yeah. The the, the secession from Britain uh, successful, right? Probably the biggest, the the most successful one in you know in our history, at least. I have to uh, say that the United States where, um, that, that fought this civil war to prevent secession has in almost every other case uh, been on the side of secession. Most recently in Kosovo, we sided with the Kosovo in order to uh, secede from Serbia. Uh, the United States uh, sided with Panama to secede from Colombia. Uh, the United States sided with Texas to secede from Mexico. Uh, in almost every other case around the world, the United States has sided with the secessionists, except in its own case. So, it, well, not even in its own case, because its own case was originally the secession from Great Britain, yeah, right? It's yeah, it's just right. this civil war one where one side got it wrong. So is this a case of just uh, history being, being uh, taught by the winners then? Was it exactly? Was it only exactly. this secession was bad only because the North won um, and the Southern states lost? Otherwise, it would be another another secessionist victory. Um, oh, for, exactly. Yeah. If if the uh, if the British had won, we, we we would have schools teaching how grand and glorious it was to put down the the rebellion, and if uh, the Southern states had won, we'd have uh, a celebration of the uh, independence of the Southern states. Uh, yeah, it's it's always a case of whoever wins gets to write the uh, the script uh, for the history books. I mean, look at our President's Day. On the same day, we celebrate George Washington's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Same day, but for opposite reasons. George Washington for independence, Abraham Lincoln for forced union. And the reason we celebrate their birthdays is because they won. If they didn't win, we'd be celebrating the we'd be celebrating Jefferson Davis and uh, and King George the Third, and maybe not even Jefferson Davis, right? Because that may not have even happened if we were still under under British rule. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. History is what it is. Uh, so, I had another follow up question to that. I think uh, so. With with the with the modern oh, I know what it was with the modern secessionist movement. Uh, it's all, it all seems to be localized, right? Like there's, you know, there's, um, the Hawaiian secessionist movement. I know Texas wanted to do some stuff. There's the, uh, was it, uh, is it Oregon and Washington? They want to secede like Southern Washington and Northern Oregon into like the 51st state of Jefferson or some weird thing like that. Um, you know, there's a small contingent of secessionists here in the free state project. It all seems to be localized, um, but uh, again, what is it about? What is it about that that civil war where they said nope, no one can ever leave the union, that it made it such a bad thing? Because the, the union was entered into voluntarily, at least, you know, at the state level, right? And the, you, no one forced states to unionize. Uh, but once they get in, you're not allowed out. So what would it what would it take now um, for a state to go like you know what? No, it, obviously this new secessionist movement has nothing to do with slavery. Uh, we just want out of the union. Is it possible? Does the does the United States provide too much uh, military aid and military might? You know, is that protection service too great to let go of? Is that what's keeping you know? Is that what keeps people still in line for it? Well, that's a good, a very good question. They exist everywhere. I remember when I lived up in Alaska, and there were secessionist movements. A lot of times, yeah, native populations are at the core of a desire for because they feel that they were conquered, which is which is accurate, and actually. Uh, Indian reservations have been characterized as having, to some degree, uh, sovereignty that doesn't exist for other places. You know, they can have gambling on their territory and they have their own uh, domestic uh, law councils and things like that. All um, with the permission of the United States federal government. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. clearly, these indigenous populations have been brutally treated over the past two centuries and more. 
Could we call those Indian reservations autonomous zones? Would that be a better example than the Chaz Chop? In a sense, it is. Yeah, yeah. So then, aside from being Native American, what would it what would it take to get authorization from the United States federal government to set up an autonomous zone, right? A, a non-Native American reservation where we just cede that plot of land and they just leave us alone, just like they would on the reservations. I don't see it happening from either right or left on on this. Uh, I mean, they, it would have to be a very um, well, actually, you know, look at what happened in the CHOP zone in, in Seattle uh, or uh, how how tolerant the general population was of this zone for a while until it broke down, as was predictable, I think. Um, you know, it was so popular among the general population that the what the, the mayor went along with it and, and just sidelined the, the police and all their obligations for public safety uh, because it was a generally popular thing. And I think that that's, that's the thing. And it, it's gotta be, there's, there's gotta be such broadly felt uh, oppression that people uh, see it as tyranny. And I don't think they've seen it that way yet. Okay. Let's talk about let's, current lockdown. Let's talk a little bit more about the Chaz chop. Cause I, I like, I, I, I have come, I've championed the Chaz chop. I've come to, to its defense numerous times on this show. Uh, but I don't know if I would have considered it to be um, generally popular uh, the, the way you phrased it, right? It's it seemed to be tolerated um, for a while, and then you know when you when you look at like oh yeah they they finally shut it down. Um, one of the uh, one of the stories that came out of that was because they finally threatened the mayor, right? They're like they showed up at the mayor's house, they made demands, and they went, no, you know what? Now you're too close to home, and you're done, right? Like you know. So I don't I don't know if I do you think it was uh, do you really think it was generally popular like the you know regular outsiders looked at it and went oh this is a beautiful thing or this is you know this should be able to exist or was it tolerated because they looked at it as short term they looked at it as you know it's a no win situation if you go in there you know with force um, you're just gonna you're you're going to enhance the optics the narrative that they're portraying which is you know brutality on minorities um whereas if you just let it play out uh eventually you know people will get tired and hungry and want to get back to some sort of normalcy in their lives uh because you, you, you can't camp out in the park for you know for that long um you know before bills set bills gotta get paid and people gotta eat and you know something's gotta happen there there was no economy there um uh, but yeah, do you? I guess I'll go back to my general question. Do you really think it was generally popular or just uh, tolerated for the most part? I think it was tolerated because there was. Remember, at that time, there was this thing sweeping the country about in reaction to, well, the the George Floyd incident, uh, killing, that uh, was highlighting what had already been in the works for so many instances around the country. And I think that this flare up that occurred also in the midst of the pandemic, when people were pent up and frustrated and, and ready for a, an explosion of sorts, I think the general population tolerated it because they, they also felt a broad sort of sympathy uh, for the black lives matter uh, movement. Right. But I think it overlooked. Um, I mean, I believe that, those uh, property owners, businesses, and so on, who were also affected in this neighborhood of the CHOP uh, section, uh, they're saying, well, we've been paying our taxes all the time for protection, and the police are gone. They, they, they don't respond to our calls. They don't, they don't do anything to uh, right. shield us. I, I think they, they have a big lawsuit coming up. And they do. They have justification for it. And that's where I don't know, right? I think... I think they have standing, possibly for a lawsuit. Sure. Sure. Um, but again, I, it's 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 worked its way up to the Supreme Court uh, at least. I, I can't cite the cases offhand, but I know at least two or three times um, s similar cases have worked their way up to the Supreme Court. And the general understanding to this point from those decisions is the police have no obligation to protect. Right. That's that's like that's uh, Supreme Court ruling up until this point so you say you know that while they've been paying their taxes they're supposed to get this protection service uh and then when that when you know the the 
uh, the chop activists took over. Uh, they were not provided with those services of which they were paying and they get to file a lawsuit. Um, and it would be nice if, if they win because it would set a new precedent. Uh, but the existing precedent is that no, the police have no obligation to protect. Uh, it's, it's one of the fundamental and foundational arguments, uh, against the, con- the concept of American citizenship. Because, you know, if you look at their laws, their books, right, what, with their definitions of words, uh, citizenship is, is in two parts, right? It's a duty of allegiance in exchange for an obligation of protection, right? So, you know, the, the state, the, the state, you know, the federal government, the state government, whatever, offers you this protection, um, and then you give them your allegiance, right? But if the Supreme Court has ruled that there is no obligation to protect, the police have no duty to protect you. Well, then you have no, you know, obligation to give your allegiance to them. So the the whole the whole notion of citizenship breaks down based on their own rulings. Um, so when it comes to the the business owners uh, in that, you know, in the the Capitol Hill zone of Seattle, but good, file your lawsuit. Let's let's see let's see if we can overturn that precedent. Uh, because if that's the case, right, if the if the if the, the police department is held liable, right, for the services that they offer, for the taxes that you paid, well then they're gonna be on the hook a lot more because anytime someone gets hurt, right, anytime a taxpayer is victimized, right, in a situation where the state should have been able to protect them, uh, you're gonna see liability, right? And who knows where it's gonna come what what would come out of that. Um uh, but it'd be interesting. Like, I'm definitely interested. I don't think they'll win. I think that the, the obligation of protection uh, or the lack of obligation to protect by the Supreme Court will up, be upheld. Um, and, you know, you just have businessmen going like, well, what are we paying for then? If you're not going to protect us, if when I call the cops, you're not going to send someone out, what am I paying for? Uh, and somehow the state, Seattle, city, whatever, uh, is going to have to justify those taxes uh, a different way. Right, because what are they paying for? If if not that, can't just be the roads, right? The schools. No, you 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 pay your protection money. You're supposed to get protection, and if you're not going to get it, then stop paying your protection money, uh, and, and you know, see the gangsters show up then, right? Yeah, yeah. And I it, what what did uh, finally there were there were shootings and robberies and stuff like that that were going on that finally brought an end to it. Is that what happened? I don't know if that's what brought an end to it. I think fatigue brought an end to it. So the there was there was mo- there was uh, it was in the works to end it the minute they changed the name from Chaz to Chop, right? Because it was the the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, right? And for the month and for you know three weeks or whatever, goddamn it, I wish they made it to the Fourth of July so that they could have celebrated Independence Day in the Chaz. <laughs> right. Uh, the, you know, the, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, um, you know, which was an occupied area, right. At that point in time, like we're taking it over which it's our zone. Now, um, they, the organizers, the, you know, whatever the, the group of people in charge, you know, the, the leadership, the represent, I don't even know what to call them. Cause you know, if I, if I, if I say the bosses that implies a hierarchy and I'm sure they're not, a, not for that. Um, but they changed it to chop. Right, which was the the Capitol Hill organized protest or autonomous protest or not autonomous organized protest or something like that, um, where it was ocu- uh, Occupy protest, like Occupy Wall Street, where we're just we're occupying this area in protest, um, and then at some point, you know, as numbers started to dwindle and again people started to return to their real lives, um, the numbers started to go down, and you know, leadership decided, uh, you know what, the occupied zone, the organized protest is no longer sustainable uh, as an on-premise protest. So everyone just pack up your stuff and go home. Uh, we, we made our, we, we've demonstrated here. Uh, now let's go home and continue to demonstrate, continue this, you know, this thought process uh, from home, you know, online, get the word out there, continue to spread the message. Uh, but we're just not going to do it in tents in, you know, in, in Capitol Hill. So that was, you know, the the middle of the end um and then uh, i think it was earlier this week there was the clearing out right so finally there was uh, in, enough 
uh, enough protesters had left where uh, the the authority figures, right, the 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 city officials, the city enforcers of Seattle, uh, could use their might to clear out the rest. So that's when you know the police went back in, and there was a final stand where they were just you know putting up whatever garbage and trash and dumpsters and barriers they could from the last handful of remaining protesters who did not want to leave. Um, and the last I read was, you know, uh, police went in, took it back over and arrested 25, 30 some odd people, uh, stragglers who decided that they, you know, we're going to fight this to the bitter end. Um, and that was it. So now, it, you know, now, I, now I guess it's, you know, cleaning up and returning things uh, back to the new normal or whatever it is over there. But that was, that was the end of that uh, autonomous zone secessionist movement whatever you want to call it uh, but for a while yeah i you know i i championed them because that's what it was right we were approaching the fourth of july and here you have <laughs> here you have you know uh, a, an organized protest uh seceding an autonomous zone um you know declaring their independence from the city of seattle i go well good on you right now i i'm not naive right i didn't expect it to last forever I didn't expect it to, you know, to be successful. Um, one of the points, I don't know if I ever got the point out uh, on this show last week. One of the points I was trying to make was, um, you know, there's, they would have to have relied on trade with, you know, the, the neighboring cities in the outside world. Like it wasn't going to, it wasn't a self-sufficient autonomous zone. It's not like they were going to be producing anything of value to trade with anybody else. So, it, you know, it would, I, th I felt it was unfair to say that it was a failure based on, you know, lack of resources um, and a shitty garden. Uh, yeah, they were going to have to trade. They would, it's too small. There's no natural resources in, a, in the concrete area that they took over. Um, but yeah, but I mean, they you did know, it. It's interesting to note that in the American Revolution, uh, we tend to think, looking back, oh, that everybody wanted independence, but it was probably a minority uh, as I understand it, about a third of the population were these patriots who wanted independence from England. About a third were Tories and sympathetic with England, uh, didn't want uh, uh, independence. And another third that just wanted to be left alone. They were farmers and in the out outreach areas, and this was politics that they didn't care much about. Yeah. Um, but it was the fervor of the of the patriots, you could say, the... the uh, the uh, independence rebels um, who carried the day and good thing too, actually. So it, it a, a, a secession isn't necessarily a unanimous agreement on it. You know, it's a, it begins because there are certain elements that are very vigorous and with strong arguments and good justification. In other words, this case hadn't been building up just overnight, it had been building up over decades of uh, of abuse, and in a sense, that's that's how this one came about too. There were decades of abuse towards towards uh, Black Americans, absolutely, uh, and uh, so there was a a, a, simp a recognition for the first time by a lot of people and a, a sympathy with it uh, that that was the tolerance that we were talking about earlier uh, of this uh, of the rebels. So let's let's go back a little bit uh, to the the initial the original act of secession from the you know the British Empire, um, based on what just based on what you said you know a third of the people wanted it a third of the people didn't care a third of the people would have been sympathizers, and the the vocal third um, carried the day. So if we if well, we look also at because they were they were willing to shoot and die, uh, you have to say that everybody who signed the Declaration of Independence was essentially putting their name on a document that could have brought them all up on charges of treason against the king. And, um, and then there were the, the groups who were shooting at the, the British in uh, Concord and Lexington and shooting at them in the uh, Bunker Hill. And um, well, frankly, I think guerrilla fighters have a tremendous capability of fighting things. They did in Vietnam. They did in Afghanistan. They, they, you know, against the biggest military forces on the face of the earth, the rebels in the American revolution did stand up against the biggest military on the face of the earth at that time. But frankly, I think that I don't see any of that kind of uh, capability and uh, 
among secessionist movements that are just really flash in the pants compared to those types of events. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the, the equivalent to that now may not have been Chaz Chop, um, but whatever, whatever name the, the current Boogaloo movement is going by now, right? It seems to be the closest thing uh, we have to those people willing to, to fight and at least make, claiming that they're willing to fight and put it all on the line. Um, but not, not necessarily the direction I was going. I was, I was going to take it more of the, uh, the private property route because that's one of the issues that came up with Chaz Chop. Um, that's one of the issues that you know, came up um, you know, when, when we discussed how, how you would secede an area, uh, any number and how would, and would you have to get all the private property owners, uh, involved? So how would that work with only, with only one third being the vocal, uh, minority in the original American secessionist movement? Um, is that required? Like, did they, did they only, were they only, only able to secede their third of the land? Um, cause it seems like they seceded on behalf of everybody, whether they wanted to or not. So do, right. do, do they not get held to the same account when we think about that as far as property rights and violations well, and, thereof? And the, the Tories who didn't join them, uh, their land was, pro- was confiscated. So yeah, you would have to say there was no, no respect to property rights. You were, if you're with us, you get to keep your property. If you're against us after winning, of course, and, and of course, during the fight, too, when the British were coming in, they they respected the property of the Tories, people who supported them, and they just confiscated properties of the of the rebels. And then when the war turned the other direction, it was reversed. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of Tories lost everything, uh, had to flee back to England with what they could. So or, does that or make stayed it around? And, okay, I mean, they 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 also stayed around and and uh, laid low for a while until things blew over does that call into question the the entire act of rebellion the entire act of revolution was it entirely unjustified because of this violation i mean that that's an interesting question um that's why i asked yeah, it. do do the means just do, do the ends justify the means um, well from a libertarian perspective we would usually say no right you, you right. have to have good means along the way but in this case meh, i don't know well so then what are some peaceful libertarian examples of secession i don't know i could not name one if i wanted to (laughs) but also part of the problem right like with again i'll go back to my initial uh my my initial defense of the Chaz chop right uh it was two three weeks ago um on on this show uh i said well you're never going to get a libertarian secessionist movement because there's no way for libertarians or ancaps or any you know uh us like-minded individuals, there's no way for us to do it um, and justify it morally and ethically because we would have to get the permission of every property owner along whatever path we're seceding, right? And that's unlikely. So all we can really do is then secede our own property, right? And we, we could all gather and say like, oh, we're going to secede our property, but we're, we don't own property, you know, uh, lined up right next to each other we don't own congruent properties so you know i i secede my plot and you know five miles down the road you secede your plot and our buddy down at the next town over secedes his plot and that doesn't work right because the the, the local government is not going to recognize that individual plot secession and leave us alone right so we would have to we would have to you know find a way to obtain a large enough plot of land worthy of seceding, right? Convincing all of the neighbors, you know, around us that, yep, we're going to do this thing and you're either with us or we can't do it because we, we need you. Um, and it just doesn't happen. So I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how a, a, a libertarian ethically secedes, um, in any shape or form, because it usually, you know, even even in the you know the the Rothbardian sense, it starts at the top, right? First, well, you secede well, your state from the federal government, and then you secede your city from the state government, and then you secede your town from the city government, and then somewhere down the line, you can secede your individual property because who you're seceding from is small enough to accommodate that. Well, maybe there are libertarian ways. Like, uh, for example, a a uh, community association. Um, 
can be viewed as a sort of uh, mild sort of secession. In other words, you're uh, or or a, a city, uh, one city secedes from another, uh, and then they set up a more libertarian path, or like what people in right. New Hampshire are trying to do, um, using the democratic processes to establish more libertarian. But even uh, environment, even that city secession. Right. If you're not if you're not getting a hundred percent consent from all landowners in that city limit, right, you're seceding land from someone who may not want to. How does that work? Well, then there's the Lieberland, unclaimed territory between two countries in Europe. Yeah, it's supposed to be a, a, a sort of secession without involving prior owners. Yeah, because yeah, so it's wilderness basically. At this, you know, wanted to make a, a general comparison. So what? So so libertarian so libertarians who want to secede uh, congregate in the wilderness, set up boundaries, and then declare it to be so. Since there's no uh, private, there's no current private property owners in that specific area, we're just taking it back. So federal land, you can secede federal land uh, that you've that you've taken over and declared to be yours. Yeah, I'd say that'd be legitimate. Okay, uh, seasteading is a, a way that some have have tried to take unclaimed territory and, and make it as a new haven for people. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of that. It's not necess- it's unclaimed because it's on the ocean. Right? Like right. where who who owns it? No one yet. It's it's international. It you know. Uh, what we talked about last week with the 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 pirate ships, right? The the pirate airships 62 miles straight up in the air, right? Uh, no jurisdiction up there. Maybe just as good, maybe just as valid as a seasteading. Who knows? We'll see. So you got all the. So yeah, there's some creative solutions, uh, but nothing, nothing that looks like what secession has been in the past. Which is, nope, we're we're a small minority. We don't want to do this anymore. We're willing to fight. We're willing to die. We're declaring it to be so, and come with us, basically, right? But if we're going to celebrate it, right? If we're going to celebrate that. Uh, don't do we not have to acknowledge the bad that went along with that? Do we, if we're going to celebrate independence from the British Crown, do we have to? Do we at least have to acknowledge that? Yeah, some property was stolen from people who would rather not have had their property stolen and would rather have remained British citizens. Um, but you know what? Greater good. Uh, screw them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely true with the Fourth of July because it not only established the country which most people champion was a, a great beacon of comparative freedom to what existed in europe the rest of the time but by manifest destiny they conquered a lot of lands that didn't want to be conquered hawaii was one uh, the native american indian lands were vast and um, puerto rico guam philippines um you know so it was also the the uh, rec- the acceptance of the opposite—it's just a matter of power, I guess. Then. Well, I—I I mean, fundamentally, it all comes down to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm—I—I'm on record, and I have—I haven't heard a good enough argument refuting this uh, for me to change my position. Um, but I've said before, might doesn't make it right, but it does make it so. And violence is always the answer, right? And what, <laughs> and what we. Uh, if, you know, and what we try to do as a peaceful society and a peaceful civilization is to exhaust all other options, all other alternatives before we resort to violence. But the violence is always an underlying threat uh, in any negotiation. And then the, the new one that I've added to this that I'm, you know, I'm not 100% behind yet uh, is that uh, the powerful don't need to negotiate. Right, because they they already operate from a position of I can win with violence if I want to, so it is always the weak uh, seeking peaceful remedy because they know they cannot win a fight. True enough. Unfortunately, MC, we haven't heard anything from MC. Is he still there? Is, um, is he taking another nap? You fall asleep again on me. What's What's your favorite government program? Are you asking me? Either one of you. <laughs> I don't know. You you sound like all deep voiced again, so I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't I don't have a favorite government program. That's the thing. That's the that's the whole point. Get rid of all of them. But I just heard something got disconnected. Is that yeah? He's reconnecting his microphone. 
Oh. I'm going to ignore it and hope I didn't pick up too much of that so I can skip over it and not have to edit it out. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I, th- it, I think it's just, uh, you know, probably just a bug in the processor. If you're not talking too much, it just slows down and <laughs> drops some packets or something. I don't know. Oh, Ken, Ken, do you have a favorite government program? I don't know. Well, that, that's that's like asking uh, who's your favorite uh, president. And I, I guess you always have to say then the, the least uh, least uh, uh, objectionable. Uh, probably uh, Grover Cleveland. Yeah, Grover Cleveland. I heard nice talk by Larry Reed about about him and how he was uh, pretty good at fighting crime and all that. I, I And I wanted to say uh, Calvin Coolidge, too. Um, but the problem with even those two guys is that the, the, the fight against, uh, Native American Indians persisted under all of those regimes, all of them ever is, so I, I don't know a president that, that the American Indian could champion as being someone that, who is fond. But who was the president so, that died as soon as they got inaugurated into office? That might be, uh, that might be at the top of the list. I think it was William Henry Harrison. There you go. He's number yeah. one then. Yeah, maybe so. Did, yeah. Didn't have Did time to damage. do anything bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I'm I'm quite in favor of some of these uh, teardowns of of statues and so on. I think it's high time that that people have recognized um, uh, these iconic figures for what they were. Uh, the the one I've always one that I've always held a grudge against was Andrew Jackson. You know, the Indian killer. I've always called him, and yet he adorns our ten dollar bill and um i think it's the ten dollar bill and uh he's uh got statues all over the place uh i, I you know that he was considered heroic by historians because he um uh, fought against the big banks you know the the first bank and the second national bank and then they put and him on the ten dollar bill interests. yeah 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 that's right um but i thought of him and, and it was of course he was the the army officer at the uh, Battle of New Orleans. Um, so, yeah, okay, uh, pluses and minuses, but I think that certainly his treatment and slaughter of American Indians was um, was horrendous. Uh, who are others? Uh, I, I think that uh, Abraham Lincoln, when um, I think he'll be the last to fall because he's one of the most popular along with George Washington, but, you know, um, I think that Abraham Lincoln, under scrutiny, uh, doesn't doesn't deserve to be at the top. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson oh. certainly one that I I think should be taken down. But in addition to his segregationist and racist attitudes, of course, was the horrendous task of taking the whole country into uh, an unnecessary war that led on to the other wars of the century. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said under scrutiny, right? Because if 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 you if you put any of them under scrutiny, you'll find something that makes them not worthy of praise, not worthy of a statue, right? Not worthy mm-hmm. of a, a long term consideration. It's just that most people look the other way, right? Uh, you know, I, I still have um, f- quote unquote friends on social media uh, yeah. who tend to lean to the left, who are still enamored uh, with Barack Obama. Right, still want the the Obama legacy to continue on, wishing that they could have had four more years of Barack instead of four years of Orange Man Trump, uh, and they don't pay any attention uh, to the you know the the drone strikes, the you know the killings, the wars, the bombings, right? They they turn a blind eye to all of that because Barack Obama was such a good orator with the teleprompter, right? Had such yeah. class and grace. And in, in uh, all of his speaking nick- engagements, earned the nickname "Deporter in Chief" because he deported more people than any president before him, and yet uh, he never took any flack at all for that. Zero. And uh, you know, Trump is, I think, rightly flackable uh, for that. But Barack Obama was un- un- untouched by that uh, behavior. Right. So when you say like, who could get a statue? Well, when you put it under scrutiny, nobody, none, none of, yeah, yeah. no one is That's worthy. Right. Uh, tear them all down. Um, it's just that, you know, it, it, right now it, things are going one way. So all the Southern statues, right. All the, you know, all the, 
all the people who Black Lives Matter uh, oppose greatly. Those are the statues getting torn down. Um, and at some point, the pendulum well, swings back the other way, and we'll tear down. Who's the statue works. you'd build to? I'd build a statue to uh, Murray Rothbard. I, I think that I'd, I'd contribute to a statue of, of Murray Rothbard. Who else would you? And, and maybe Mert, Milton or Mert, uh, Milton Friedman. Yeah, those would be some uh, icons that I would hold out. I would have difficulty with the Milton Friedman one because Chicago school wants a central bank. I go, that's not freedom. That's, you know, that's a central authority over the, the one structure that you want to get away from. Uh, Bill, very true. And yet, you know, you can argue that he, uh, that was the world that he was a part of. And yet he pioneered so much in the way of uh, acceptance of free market ideas that it was surprising that he didn't see his own contradiction with regard that's, to central banks. That's true uh, for a lot of people. Even, but, even the podcast that I talked about earlier, the atheist experience, right? When they, they would have libertarian callers troll in and pitch the same argument that they would use against God, right? as an argument against their God, the state, because they happen to lean left politically, even though they tried to cover that, you know, it's not what the show is about. It was evident in what they talk about. Um, so yeah, so every, everyone, everyone's, you know, hides their, their own weaknesses and can't see through it. Um, who was that dude? Uh, Jan Helfeld, right. He got real famous, uh, some years ago for his, uh, Socratic questioning of political figures. And you go like, wow, this dude, he's on point. He is one of us. Look at how, what an idiot he made Bernie Sanders look like. Uh, and whoever else he interviewed at the time, just asking them questions about the government uh, un until he debated like Larkin Rose, right? The anarchist. And he goes like, well, you know, if you use these same arguments uh, for the government programs that you want, Jan, uh, the argument still holds up. And you, now you have to like reconcile your position. And if you listen to the debate, it, it's some years old. It was basically, well, we we still need the government for defensive purposes, right? You cannot have no defense, um, even when you make the same argument that he's been that he made with all the other politicians. It it fell, it fell on deaf ears when used against him. Mm -hmm. MC, would you have a statue to Jordan Peterson? Um, wow, well, it's a tough one. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. He's still alive, so I'll answer. I'll answer. How about a statue to Satoshi Nakamoto in the likeness of Craig Wright? <laughs> yeah, Craig's still alive too. So. Well, but you but you can't make a statue to Satoshi because no one knows who he is or what he looks like. Sure, yeah, I get I get that point, but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so, maybe so our yeah. wait 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 a few more years and and then and then we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll work on that. Well, are you okay? Let me ask you this then. Is it because of the Craig Wright aspect of it or because you think that there's uh, some scrutiny that needs to be applied to Satoshi well, Nakamoto? We, and because, because, because we, we don't, don't know anything know, about him. We don't know what Craig Wright is going to do while he's still alive. So. Well, yeah, but I'm not saying I'm not saying make a statue to Craig Wright. I'm saying make a statue uh, no, to I'm, Satoshi Nakamoto. And if you I have to put a face on it. If, if Craig Wright did something... Uh, exceedingly crazy like i don't know run for president and win uh then then i would say no i, I don't want his likeness uh, okay to be representing so it's like it depends what happens until he dies okay and then so, we can make up our mind who so, we're gonna so, so scratch that part out having then. only statues to dead people because then you know their their achievements are fixed right well maybe <laughs> but look they're tearing down all the statues now of people with fixed achievements Right. Yeah, but you could always build new ones. So. Okay. So how about okay? So it, forget the Craig Wright part then, because that was that was you know that was a no, joke. Yeah, um, but a statue to Satoshi Nakamoto has he done enough? Uh, the white paper in itself, the the invention of Bitcoin, um, is that enough to warrant a statue? Arguably, that's led to more liberty and more freedom for a lot of people to get them out of the financial uh, sector to get banks to the unbanked so that they can trade and be prosperous potentially. Yeah. I think some things like that have already been done. What a statue to Mon Satoshi uh, monuments to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I think, I think some have been, are they worthy though? Maybe the question was who would you build the statue to? Well, statues 
are built of granite or marble or something really hard that's supposed to last forever. Maybe if we just build them out of plaster Paris so that they could uh, be um, changed. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they go up to memorialize somebody, but knowing full well that times change, circumstances change, values change, uh, uh, let's make it uh, flexible. Ah, well, why not? While everyone's at the beach, just build your favorite monument as a sandcastle to whomever it is you like. <laughs> right. One of the big protest things, you know, used to be like, ah, oh, you just chalk, chalk the pavement outside of who, whatever you're protesting, because it's not illegal to chalk. It's not graffiti. Uh, you get a whole bunch of you know glorious pictures of the event to you know to hold over for posterity, uh, and then the chalk washes away in the next rain. So yeah. Does that feed into disposable culture, right? We're nothing, we're, we're, you know, we're so far gone in, into consumerism where nothing is built to last, not even statues and monuments to the greats. Well, you got statues on the Mount Rushmore. That they're calling for it to be destroyed or do, replaced well, with engines. Do you think that they are ones that you admire? One that I would take off the list is Teddy Roosevelt. I would, I'd remove his head from the from the mount rushmore i would say Any all of them because they're all presidents yeah can't ask an anarchist yeah. which president he likes on the face of mount rushmore none of them <laughs> it's a mountain get rid of it yeah here in new hampshire they had the the old man on the mountain it's still part of like the lore um but that thing fell like decades ago or at least a decade you know decade and a half ago but prior like 2006 or something um so we moved here and we see the, you know, all the, all the road signs for, uh, New Hampshire highways or whatever have the, you know, this, this, um, silhouette or whatever of the old man on the mountain doesn't even exist. It's just, it's part of the history that, you know, you, you could learn about, um, but it fell, right. It's, it's no longer there. It, it no longer exists in present reality. It's just, you know, it's just a, a remembrance of the past, much like American independence. Right, American freedom and American liberty—it's a vestigial idea of you know centuries-old ideology. Doesn't exist anymore. Well, by contrast, um, isn't it better here than most countries of the world? Um, in certain I mean, respects, is, yes. Is there a country that is flawless? No, not at all. But do we stop trying to improve? Do we, you know, do we con continuously regress? Because at some point, that's what happens, right? Like, you know, the, the government inches away at freedoms, right? Uh, was it uh, Marx or Hitler or one of those guys? One of, the, one of those ideologies had it laid out where you, you take away the freedom slowly uh, over a long period of time. And by some, at some point, there's a tipping point where it's too late to get anything back, right? You, you've successfully taken enough away where the people are rendered helpless, right? And for a long time, Americans and America has gone that route, right? If you, you know, just, just with the second amendment alone, if you want to take it to like, where, when, when are things going to get violent? Uh, well, you know, they, they, they take away a full automatic and then, and then even the gun people justify it, right? They like, they lie to themselves because they go like, well, you can take full auto because nobody really needs full auto anyway, like full auto. No one needs full auto. Yeah, you do absolutely need full auto. If you're, if you're going to fight the government, you fucking need full auto, right? They took away large capacity magazines for a little bit, right? I go, well, you don't really need, and they justified it again, right? And then they said, then they took, uh, with President Trump, they took away the bump stocks, right? And the and gun people again are going like, well, you don't really need a bump stock because you can just tie a rubber band to your trigger and it's the same thing. There's not. Right. Like they, every, every, every infringement on firearm freedom, uh, that comes down is then justified by the firearms people as unnecessary. And so it gets worse and worse because at no point do they go like, Nope, that's the last straw. You cannot have this. You cannot have full auto should have been it. Right. As soon as they did that, you get shot. Right. Then they said like, God, oh, no extended magazines. And they said, well, Nope, take that away. You get shot. Then they said, well, bomb stocks. And I, no, you take that away. You get shot. Like that's, that should, that should be, you know, the, the patriotic end of that is you take away the freedom, you take away the liberties, you take away the rights, uh, you get shot because 
if you let them take them so little incrementally, eventually they take everything you have to fight back against. And by that point, it's too late, right? Then you have no weapons of self-defense, no means to defend yourself. And you just, you get on the box car and you go take a gas bath and that's it. All right. Are we running out of time? We can be. Final thoughts on that? Comments on that before we wrap it up? Otherwise, that's a good place to end. Yeah. Don't get on the bus. Good session. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That'll do it for us. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com. Still the website. Uh, Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, you may do so through Patreon. Patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Well, good, good time. <laughs>